0: I'm Rafael Simon, and this is Go Time.
1: It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. All right, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Go Time. It is episode number seven. Uh, Today, we have Brian Kettleson here with us. Say hello, Brian. Hello. And Carlisa Campos is also here.
2: Glad to be here. Hi, everybody.
1: And we also have a special guest here with us, uh, Rafael Simon, who is the creator of a framework called Goa for uh, generating APIs, which uh brian is particularly excited about hello uh you want to give us a, a little bit of background Rafael?
0: sure yeah so uh let's start with start with uh who am i so i'm a uh platform architect at RedScale. uh radscale is a cloud management platform um i've been working there for most eight years. And uh, when I started, the, the whole product was basically a single raise app. Um, and the platform has grown a lot since then. And last time I counted, there were about 52 different services running in production, you know, running on about 1,000 VM. Um, so I've helped design, develop, and debug a lot of them. Um, and part of going from this single raise app to all those uh, distributed services, um, we felt a lot of pain in in having to design APIs the right way. Um, what I mean by that is being able to come up with APIs that are um, consistent uh, and have uh, standards that are enforceable. So, you know, so that we can come up and say, yep, that API looks good. Uh, it follows our standards um, and we'd be able to integrate that service with the rest of the fleet. Um, and as you're probably know uh, once an api is alive it's it's almost impossible to change it Um, once you have customers that start using it or once your internal services rely on it um, then you that api is going to be alive forever so it is very important that you spend the time designing it properly Um, and when we looked at was available to do that um, there just wasn't much um there no there were a few tools here and there but nothing that we felt would would be enough for us um so we ended up creating a a framework at the time that framework was in ruby called praxis that basically allowed you to write a design code and then uh the the framework would leverage a design at runtime um and fast forward uh my kind of shifted towards uh, Go. Um, and I thought it would be good to see if we could do something like that in Go. Um, and to be honest, I wasn't sure initially that would be possible. Um, so uh, I played around with a few things. Um, and it took me about a year, really, to come up with something um, that started to look like it may work. Um, and so the, the there were two big uh, aha moments in that uh, kind of research phase. Uh, One was the the realization that cogeneration was the perfect approach for achieving the goal of keeping the design and implementation separate while making sure that the design is directly enforced Um, and the second realization was that um, the design should be written in a dsl so that the language used to describe the api use the right terms right you want to talk about resources actions responses requests um, and you don't want to have to deal with uh, programming language artifacts Um, so that DSL would have to be a Go DSL, obviously, so that it could be understood right away and also so that it's still possible to use the, the Go language to, when it's needed. Um, so fast forward uh, like a year and a half, and and I have to say that the result turned out a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, and I think a lot of the credits goes to the Go language. Uh, the Go language provides very simple and powerful mechanism um, to create that DSL. Um, it also has very... Good uh, code analysis support, which is essential, um, and very good generation packages, code generation packages, um, the template package in particular. So all of that put together, I think we end up today with something that is actually very interesting, uh, and we've started using Goa fairly extensive, extensively here at right RightScale.
1: Oh, so th- so that's great. So so uh, just kind of like a high level detail. So Goa is a framework for using a kind of DSL that's uh, written in Go to generate uh, HTTP APIs.
0: Yep, exactly. Um, and it, you know, it, it, from that design, from that, um, that DSL, uh, which is Go code with basically the DSL, you can think of it as a, um, a lot of package level functions that you invoke and that are recursive so you call a top level function let's say called api um, and you then uh, embed other function calls in it um, where you define every single property of the api like the title the description etc so when you look at it, it's actually not too ugly. Uh, you can actually understand it very well and follow what what it's trying to do. Um, and from that design, what happens is when you when you load the design, when you start the process that has that package linked in, um, the the because all of the, all that design code lives in global viable, uh, the go time takes care of running all of that for for you, and you end up with uh, a lot of in-memory data structures that describe your API. Uh, And those are simple, nothing special go data structures that you can look at inspect and use to to generate pretty much anything um so it's quite nice because you start from a language that is easy to use from a you know human point of view and you end up with data structures that are very nice to handle from a programmatic point of view um and so goa comes with a few built-in code generation uh, Uh, outputs. Uh, One is the glue code that bridges the load of HTTP server with the user-provided handlers. Um, And that code takes care of validating the incoming requests according to the validation rules described in language. Um, It also builds convenient data structures uh, for accessing the request state and writing the response. Um, So you end up with code that you have to write as the user which is very small right you don't have to do all the validation that you usually have to do and you don't have to bind the request body to some data structure. all of that is done already uh, you you end up with a what is called a context data structure and that data structure has everything laid out in a way that's very easy for you to access and consume um, so you could end up very is very terse uh, and very clean um, Uh, the the goagent tool that comes with goa uh, which is the code generation tool uh, also generates a client package and a client tool Uh, so uh, that's also been very neat because um you know one issue is when you create an api um, obviously the the point is for the api to be consumed Um, and what tends to happen is that every team uh, consuming the tool will develop their own client, and you know they will all become out of date and it will all have small discrepancies and, and things start creeping up, which uh, make the whole thing more difficult to evolve. Um, and so having that being generated automatically means that the team that provides the API also provides the client and everybody uses that one client. And so it, it makes everything consistent and helps uh, other teams consume the API. And GoaGen also generates documentation in the form of a swagger and JSON schema um, so that you can, at any point in time, share the design to other people that may not be familiar with the the Goa DSL. Um, And you can use it also to document the API once it's in in production. Um, So all of that makes for a very nice um, way of developing APIs uh, and very efficient way of doing it.
3: So I have have two comments. Um, I found Goa. Uh, in October, November, I guess, of last year. And two things struck me immediately when I saw Goa. The first was that the generated code looked handwritten. And I have to commend you for that, because for me, that was the most impressive part of the project, was that uh, Mm. all other code generation facilities I've seen before, it's really clear that it's, it's generated code and it doesn't feel idiomatic. It doesn't feel like Go. It feels like somebody generated some Go code. So having that generated code in Goa looks so handwritten uh, was very impressive for me.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a design goal. Um, you know, I, I was when I started Goa, I was a little bit um not afraid but i was a little bit worried about the the reception that the go community will have because i know that the go programmers are very um uh, not picky but they like the go code to be geometric they like a certain way uh you uh, know they, they like the code to look a certain way and, and behave a certain way and so i wanted I didn't want the generic code to be an issue, basically. I wanted that to be a non-issue. I wanted people to look at it and say, yeah, okay, it looks good enough. I don't have to. It's not terrible. Um, and so I definitely tried to put some efforts to, to make that a non-issue um, for the adop- adoption of Goa. Yep.
1: Now, so, speaking of the kind of uh, idiomatic Go and reception from the community, um, what's the reception like for the actual DSL itself? because i've seen the generated code which i think is highly idiomatic um but i don't know whether the the dsl is so much do you get a lot of uh slack about that or are people pretty comfortable uh, yeah with that so
0: it, there's been a few uh, comments on the on the repo and github of people um trying to make it look more more like go but then i'm always very uh kind of have a hard line saying, this is not Go. It's a DSL, it's a different language. It's implemented in Go, but it's not Go. Uh, So for example, one thing that you you sort of have to do when you use DSL is use dot imports, right? And a lot of people don't like that. Um, And I agree, I I don't think that the reports are good either. Uh, I think if you're at Google, you shouldn't use them and nothing else in in Go uses that. But um, for the purpose of using, uh, of implementing a DSL, that ends up being uh, uh making the whole thing a lot nicer feel a lot more natural um and so there is a little bit of that pushback but then my response is well this is not go and i'm not trying i'm not trying for dsl to be idiomatic go because it's not go in the first place um and, and if you think about it you know uh, some of the target outputs for the dsl is documentation there's also a javascript client that you can generate from that uh, dsl Um, and in the future uh, know there can be plugins written to generate all clients in other languages and so um, the language has to be agnostic right it has to remain independent of any target that it generates and sure go is the main target for sure but um, still the language should try to remain as agnostic as possible
1: right, so people people just need to to disconnect a little better, right? It's kind of like yeah, GRPC, yeah. right you the, the DSL is essentially the protobufs, right, and then the generator yeah, generates from that the that, exactly just right. happens to be yep. so yeah
0: Yeah. yeah it's, it's like uh, you know, if you write swagger, then uh, yeah. it's completely different from your programming language. It's the same idea yep
3: <clears throat> well, that leads me to the the second thing that I noticed about Goa, which was the approachability of the DSL, and I've seen. Many DSLs in the past, uh, you know, being a, a former Ruby developer, it's you know everything we did in Ruby was a DSL in one way or another. Uh-huh. So seeing a DSL in Go that was approachable and understandable was really surprising for me. I had, I had seen the uh, test frameworks, uh, which one is it? Go uh, Ginko, GoMega, yep, one of those yep. that that uses a similar approach, and it still just didn't really click with me until I played with Goa, and I I really enjoyed the uh, the readability factor of the mm. DSL in Goa. Thank you. Yeah, um,
0: that took a while to get right. And actually, you, it's, it's funny you mentioned Ginkgo and Gomega because they were definitely a big inspiration for, for the Goa DSL. You um, know, I went through different iterations. one uh, iteration, I was using uh, literal data structures to define a DSL. And it, it was ugly. <laughs> I mean, it was very ugly. Um, and uh, I think it clicked once I, I saw the trick of basically uh, having a, an anonymous function being. An argument right that's really the big the trick uh once you see that once you understand that then um everything kind of falls together um then it's easy to sort of embed those function cores and make it look like uh it's just a series of uh instructions which is
3: which is which is nice yeah but that yeah that took a while so what has surprised you most about uh the explosion of goa adoption uh i was very
0: very impressed by how the Go community and you especially uh um really uh, embraced goa um I didn't think you know i was it, it was more of a sort of personal research interesting project see what what could happen uh also with the potential of maybe being being used at right scale um but that was about it and then um i guess you stumbled on it and started tweeting about it and and
3: uh, <laughs> and i wrote a so, blog post <laughs>
0: yeah put me into the the slack channel and um and it's been awesome i mean i think there's no way that goa would be what it is today without that that community without all the input you know the the that's not just code it's the ideas the requirements the, the the numerous bug fixes i mean that that to me was like waking up in the morning and seeing a PR where that fixes a bug I wrote, that's the best thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's no better way to start a day. Um, and, um, so yeah, I've been very impressed. Uh, I'm very grateful. Uh, and, uh, it, it's been, it's been awesome.
3: So it's, it's only appropriate that we talk about that blog post that I wrote because on this show, we have a habit uh, at the end of every show of talking about uh, the free software Friday movement that we're, we're trying to portray here. And, and that was the blog post in, I want to say it was in November of last year, where I mentioned that I had stumbled across Goa and I thought it was just an amazing thing. And, and I was talking about ways that you could talk to open source programmers and thank them for the work that they do and, and tell them that you appreciate it. I think I actually even proposed to you. I'm not sure. Oh, I did, yeah, on, on 17 November 2015. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I want to marry the guy who wrote Goa. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to apologize if that made you uncomfortable in any way.
0: No, I, that, that made me laugh. That made me uh, have to retrieve my lost uh, Twitter password. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I, yeah, I wasn't on Twitter at the time, and it's a colleague of mine that saw, that, <laughs> saw the tweet and told me about it. Um, and, and uh, uh, they had a good laugh. And I think it's, it's yeah, it's been great. I think it's, um, I really appreciate all the support that, that you've been giving Goa. And I think, uh, again, Goa wouldn't be, you know, what it is today without all of that support and all the people now participating into the, the development of it.
1: And I, I know uh, it was probably a few months ago, but you went through a refactoring, right, to kind of support pluggable, uh, to create kind of plugins for stuff. Because I know Brian ended up going through and creating a plugin for orm integration
0: yeah i think goa may have caused brian to kind of rewrite the same thing seven times in a row or something like that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so sorry about that but um, but yeah i mean it was basically an exercise of trying to make it possible for uh plugins to be added to goa uh, at the same time that the big plugin that Brian was developing was being developed, right? So Brian wrote this, this amazing plugin called Gorma, which allows you to define models in DSL. So now you can not only define your uh, API shapes, but you can also define the database models. And from that, uh, Gorma generates code that will instantiate those models from uh, request bodies and then create response bodies from the model. So, it's, so it makes it very easy uh, to have a full stack uh Kind of up in, in, in a few minutes, so it's, it's awesome um but yeah I, I was working on on trying to make plugins work in Goa in the same times that uh Brian was working on Gorma, and so you know I must have brought on broken Gorma maybe two hundred times i I don't know something like that <laughs>
3: it, it, it was a sure uh, fun process though it's okay
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 and I think you know the end result is 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 nice, I think. Uh, the, you know, I think anybody that now writes a plugin for Goa has to thank you. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's the, yeah, that should be the rule.
3: <laughs> so what's been the most surprising plugin that you've seen or, or the most surprising contribution to Goa?
0: Well, I think Gomar is definitely up there. Um, you know, it, it's, it was clearly, it, once you think about it, it's a use case that's, that's really important. I just hadn't thought about it you know, and, and, and once you think, oh yeah, obviously the next thing you need, you need to do after you get your request payload is to store it. Well, yeah, you're gonna need to talk to some uh, database and, and yeah, you could generate code to do that. Um, so I think, I think that has been you know, uh, very interesting because I hadn't thought about it and it, it, it just makes a lot of sense and I think it's very useful.
1: So um, I, I guess it's kind of hard to go into detail about The actual DSL itself, because uh, this is all all audio based. I mean, we could draw stuff on our own individual whiteboards if we wanted to, but I don't think somehow (laughs) that's going to help the listeners. So um, one thing I would like to talk about, though, is not everybody's kind of familiar with code generation. So um, I guess one thought process that constantly comes across people when they first hear the idea is, how do you maintain generated code, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. were to modify it and you need to Mm -hmm. regenerate, you know, are you wiping Mm -hmm. over all the top of your stuff? Mm -hmm. So I'd I'd love to kind of hear you explain kind of like what the model is for maintaining your code that's been generated. And if i got a new version of Goa and wanted Mm -hmm. to take advantage of some new features or plugins, what does that look like for the code that I had to manually write as part of that API?
0: Right, so, so the the main idea is you don't. You do not maintain generated code. Basically, you know, the generated code is is generated in its own package, and you, it's cheap code. You don't have to maintain it. You don't have to test it. You don't have to really know the internals of it. You're welcome to look at them, and hopefully it's understandable, but you don't have to. Um, all you care about is what it provides to you and how it interfaces with your code. Right. So one of the, the kind of code generation principle behind GoA is that um, user code and generated code never mix. And there is a very clear interface, uh, an explicit, I mean, a, I mean, a Go interface. right? It's, it's, it's a very explicit interface between the two. Um, it's not just one, it's multiple. But the idea is that you have interfaces that are clear uh, between the generated code and the user code. And if you regenerate your code, you shouldn't care. I mean, basically, the idea is if you change your design and you add, let's say you add a new field to a request payload, you regenerate your code. All that means is now your context object has a new field and you can use it and that's it. You don't have have to worry about anything else. Um, obviously there are cases where um the interface may break they may change between different tools but in that case it should be clear it should be you're moving from you know 1.0 to 2.0 and and you're doing that consciously it shouldn't be something that is a side effect um so i've been very careful about that because um in the past i've had experience with you know corba idl midl um and it was always very painful whenever generated code mixed with user code uh, because now what do you do do you test the whole thing so uh, you, do you now own the generated code right do you, do you need to test it to maintain it um, and then you run into the issues of, of lifecycle. when you change the source then you need to change that code so i you know sometimes some like some midr generators would put markers in comments in your file right and then they would find those markers and change the code in between and you were not supposed to change that so I was really, I really wanted to try and avoid running into that those issues, and so um, all the generated code goes into a different package, which you do not touch. Actually, you cannot touch it because the generator, the code generator, will wipe out the entire directory every time. Um, so you, there's no way that your code is going to mix with the generated code, and the interface is 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 a Go interface. It's explicit, um, and that's how you
2: both could interact. So when you say don't worry about testing the code. that was auto-generated part of the code was the controllers. Are you saying, so how, how is your workflow? Do yeah. you, do you test, do you, man, do you then go and manually write tests for integration for, uh, uh, functionality and not specifically, I'm not a huge fan of testing controllers in specific. I'm more a fan of testing integration, but how do you then go and write it manually?
0: So the, the con- so the controllers that, that and generate are, are, this is code that you own. <laughs> so there's, there's, Two kinds of code that GoGen generates. One is the vast majority of the code is things that are live in different packages that you don't worry about. Um, but then there's also this scaffolding code, which is kind of just a bootstrap code to help you get started. Right? It's not something that you're going to regenerate over time. It's something that you do once, and it helps you quickly compile your service and be able to test it and 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 play with it right away. Um, and so for that code, that code belongs to you. That code you test it and you maintain it like like your code. And actually, next time you run GoAgen, it won't overwrite those files, um, and those files live in the main package. Uh, so the controller lives in the main package, uh, and and you test that you own that. The 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 low-level handlers that get generated in by default in the package called App. Um, those 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 are the ones that I'm saying you don't have to maintain. You don't have to worry about.
2: Got it. And I wanted to say too, in prepping for this episode, I watched uh, a talk that Brian Keltelson gave mm. in Tampa. And it's simply amazing. If you have, uh, if you don't know Goa and have any interest at all, the talk is at an hour and 15, but it's so worth it because he uh, shows the functionalities that Goa provides in Gorma and then he shows codes. And pretty much I watched the whole talk. And I came away with a very good sense that I understood what Go does, and I thought it was very simple to use. Another thing that I thought was, I come from a, a Rails background, uh, and I saw a lot of similarities. To me, it felt like this could uh, very much be an alternative to Rails if I wanted to do a backend app or an API app in in Go, and um, but except that. It didn't abstract away a lot of the things I, I I saw right there what the code was doing, and it was very much under my control as opposed to just calling it abstractions that maybe I knew or no, maybe i didn't
0: yeah it's, it' i mean there's definitely um uh, some definitely some similarities in in the way that um you know you have controllers um, and you have resources and so that definitely uh, is similar um, I think also one other thing that um, go is trying to do is stay simple right so one of the thing that that um, um, we've used raised quite a bit here, and um, you know we've got an application probably way too big for what race was supposed to to be doing, and so we felt a lot of pain with. Some of the plugins and some of you know the at some point I think we had like hundred more than a hundred gems we're using and so uh, at this point it becomes almost impossible to understand uh, the request flow throughout and so something I'm uh, I think Go is trying to do is to keep things simple kind of. Get the best of Go, right? The Go principles of of doing simple tools that do simple things, um, and and can be composed together to achieve what you want, and try to get those ideas and mix them with, at the same time, the practicality, right? of of doing something where you don't have to rebuild everything every time. So uh, that's that's I think that's a nice little it's kind of two goals that are a little bit uh, um opposed to each other but it's a good tension and, and i think why is trying trying to strike the balance between the two
2: yeah my, my impression was that it was very easy in the sense that when you jump into a rails app it's very easy to get going mm-hmm. so it was easy in that sense but it was also simple and that's what what i was trying to say mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know In Rails, I'm using a lot of abstractions that maybe I went into the Rails source code and and looked at it, and I I know what it is, but probably I didn't. And with uh, using Goa and Gorma, I see everything right there. I have direct control of what's going on, and it's simple.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm happy you say that. I mean, that was definitely a a goal, too, is trying to to simplify things and kind of hide a lot of the complexity of hooking up you know, the mux and uh, uh, so in a generic code. Um, and then what you have to implement as the user uh, should be fairly straightforward. Basically, the data structures you have to deal with are the ones that you define in your design. Um, so it should all be very expected and and uh, um, fairly simple to use. Yep.
3: Now, I have an anecdote about that. In the The Goa Slack channel and the Gophers Slack, we call Raphael the godfather. And that's that's because of his extreme dedication to the simplicity of the DSL and the user experience. He will not let anything get by that complicates the process. And and I really appreciate that. I think uh, having that laser sharp focus on... User experience and developer experience is what makes Goa a great tool versus uh, many of the other code generators, some of which I've written that suck. So that's important. You have to have the godfather in every project.
0: <laughs> yeah, try to hide all the, you know, keep all the complexity below. You, know, you can look at it if you want, but you don't have to deal with it. I think it's a very interesting uh, uh, principle. Um, you, know, you, you get developers of, um, like in, in a big team, you get developers of every level that need to use your tool. And so um, I think you need to make it approachable so anybody can take advantage of it and leverage it as as best it, as possible, right? It shouldn't, you shouldn't have to know how the tool works to take full advantage of it. Um, I think it should be, it's the tool's job uh, to make sure that you can use it in a way that's easy and all the complexities hidden from you. And at the same time, if you are a more advanced user or you are curious and you want to see how it works, it shouldn't be hidden either. And what's underneath should also be fairly nice design and blah, blah, blah. But um, you shouldn't have to be exposed to the whole thing uh, from the get go. Yeah.
1: So, another thing that's kind of um, risen in extreme popularity over the past couple of years is Swagger for mm-hmm. doing API specifications. And as I understand it, uh, Goa also generates all the Swagger specs so that you get the, the swagger ui kind of for free for anything that you've defined in this dsl
0: yeah that's i mean swagger was definitely a big inspiration for the abstractions in the design um, so it's no coincidence that you know it's uh, the swagger generation is is fairly complete in in the sense that you can express anything that you can express in swagger in a dsl um, actually the first DS, uh, my, the first inspiration was json schema Uh, i don't know if you're familiar with how heroku um uh, document their apis but they use json schema this kind of recursive json schema to describe all of all of their apis um and so that was kind of the initial inspiration for for the abstractions in the design language um but then it so happened that swagger is also using json schema for a lot of their uh, uh representation of of what they call the the path object um and so that mapping was was very easy to do um and just it was sort of natural um so yeah and i think it's great too because that means that people that already know swagger are already used to thinking about design of apis will feel right at home right they will they will have to deal with the same abstractions that they already know um and actually i think uh an interesting project or add-on that could be done uh, with Goa is, is a tool that would take some the Swagger definition and generate suddenly so the the Goa DSL kind of go the other way around, right? So you you, you if you write the Goa DSL, you get Swagger. It would be also interesting if you had Swagger to be able to go to a Goa DSL because then you would be able to take advantage of Goa Gen to generate all those other things.
1: You know, he's if he's you started... that to you, Brian. <clears throat> Pardon That's me? Your t- uh, he's assigning that to you. I was just going to
3: say, if you started with a Swagger specification and you generated a Goa DSL and then the Goa DSL generated a Swagger specification, you could set that thing into an endless loop. And by the end of it, it would be Turing complete.
0: <laughs> no. okay. Yes, it'll uh, be we actually very interesting to see how the the swagger uh, evolves over time whether it degrades or you know
3: <laughs> <laughs> or, or whether it takes over the world and starts That's launching right. nuclear right. warheads.
2: <laughs> I have a question for Rafael. Um the views aspect or feature of Goa, I thought it was super interesting. I remember working with a Rails app, an API that was serving cube data. Um as restful resources, and we had to do some f- filters that were complicated. Once we figured out a p- pattern, it was, we, we just followed the pattern. It was sort of simple, but then I ended up running with, in, with problems because we were using the Swagger documentation, to, mm. Swagger as a documentation tool, not necessarily to uh, design the API, but just to document the API. And uh, so there was a, a mismatch there between what we were doing in between the specs, that Swagger, mm-hmm. Swagger spec, whatever the spec version was that we were using. So now, with with query params and filtering uh, features of an API, is that what the views does? Is that like, if, if I have different filter, filtering criteria, I can use different views to represent that? Is that what it is?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the idea. So, you know, the idea is that, uh, a single resource may be represented different ways, right? You may have, you may have an index view, for example, that only has a few fields, and you may have a detailed view that has all the fields, and you may have another view that is specialized in some other way. Um, and so the idea is that you shouldn't have to kind of redefine a different media type every time. So you define your media type once, uh, you list all the fields of the media type, and then you define views, uh, different ways of representing that media type, and each view. Um, can uh, ab- define arbitrary fields uh, that were defined on the media type, and so um, and then the, how you, you know produce those views from the request is really up to you. Um, so if you decide that you want to use a query string parameter uh, called view, and the name can be either index or uh, expanded, then great, do that, and 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 uh, in your controller, and you could you. Basically, build the response using the view that you you wanted for that for that value of the query string. Um, so, and that that all gets also translated into the Swagger uh, that gets generated as basically uh, different uh, different uh, uh, responses for the for for the action. So, so it's all documented, uh, and 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 you get also the the benefit of not having to redefine all those different media types every time.
2: Yeah, that sounds brilliant, and I bet it's a lot easier to document as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean it, it is, and I think people have a sort of uh, instinctive understanding of it, right? It's it's it makes sense, right? If if I want to index you, then great, I, you know, it's the same backing resource; it's just different ways of representing it. So I don't think it's for it's a very complicated uh, abstraction, and it does add a lot uh, to the to the to the DSL. So yeah, I'd would, like to agree make... with
3: that. What's that? I, I'm just saying I would completely agree with that. I love the, the idea of views having the same resource represented slightly differently for a different use case doesn't mean you should have to write a ton of different code. You
1: just ask for that resource with a specific view.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: So I'd like to make sure we have kind of time to do a, a fireside chat, you know, talking about kind of news and, and projects and stuff we've run across together. So before we move on off of Goa, um, I'd just kind of like to hear from you, like what's next for Goa? Um, What kind of functionality are you looking to add here in the near future?
0: Yeah, Uh, so there are a couple of uh, things that, first off, I should say that Goa is not 1.0 yet. (laughs) So I think the near future is going to be finishing 1.0. And we are very close. Um, What what I think would make sense is to finish up the security examples that we've started um, because that's an area that can get a bit Hairier than the other areas, so having good examples around that make, makes sort of sense. Um, so finishing those examples, uh, making sure everybody's happy with those, uh, and then I think at that point we'd be ready to uh, to freeze and and kind of ship 1.0, whatever that means. Um, but the idea is that then that is stable. So if you were waiting for Goa to be stable to use it, there you go. Now you can start using it. Um, and now for for moving on for VNext 2.0. Um, I think there's a couple of interesting areas I'm looking at right now. One is um, um, extending Goa beyond HTTP. Um, so, in particular, I've been looking at gRPC. Uh, I think it's an area that I've that been asked a lot, and it's also something we are looking at here at Ridescale. Um, so, I, I'd like to see what we can do there. Um, it's going to be interesting because uh, some of the abstractions are not ex- don't match exactly the kind of HTTP REST abstractions. So, we're going to have I'm going to have to come up with some uh, interesting solutions there, but I think it it makes sense. Um, And another interesting space is making the DSL engine a bit more flexible. Um, So today we've mentioned it's possible to write plugins um, and you can know plugins can define their own DSL uh, and, or they can define their own output. Um, But it's a bit more difficult if you want an output from one plugin to affect the output of another plugin um, or, a, a built-in generator. So an example of that would be, you know, what if you wanted to write a, a secur- security plugin, right? And, and there would be some DSL that you can put in your API de- uh, description that says, hey, if you need to call this action, then this is the authorization middle way that you need to go through. Um, if you wanted to do that today, uh, it, it would be a bit difficult because you couldn't modify the output generated by the built-in generator for the, for the low-level HTTP server glue. Um, and so I think that's another interesting dimension to look at uh, in terms of trying to make Goa a bit more open and have, have you no know, more people being able to contribute more plugins to it. Um, so that's this is also something I, I'm thinking about.
1: Now, this is great. And I mean, I guess so if anybody wants to keep up with uh, or investigate uh, Goa, Goa.design is probably the best place to uh, yes, get a so, yep. link there. And, yes. Uh, yes. And the Slack just, channel.
0: I think would be there's a Gopher Academy, uh, so gophers.slack.com, um, and there's a Goa channel
1: there. Yep, that's right. And you'll be actually speaking at GopherCon this year, and Brian <laughs> will be speaking at Abstractions about Goa as well, if I'm correct.
3: That's right. And we have a big announcement for people who might be interested in learning about Goa at either one of those conferences. I talked to the organizer of abstractions and I talked with Eric and we both agreed (laughs) to do a discount code for both conferences. So you can get $50 off if you book at GopherCon or abstractions, if you use the code GOTIME all lowercase with uh, no space in G-O-T-I-M-E. So go time will get you $50 off either conference. If you want to go see Raphael talk at GopherCon or see me talk at abstractions about Goa Uh, abstractions.io is the website for abstractions and gophercon.com for GopherCon.
1: All right. So uh, let's do some fireside chat here. Um, News and interesting projects. And we'd love for you to participate. Raphael jump in wherever and, offer your, your own input or or things that you've come across you find interesting? Great. Yep. Sounds good. Who wants to kick this thing off?
2: I'll start. Uh, I would like to mention the, the CLI tool that I found. Uh, the author's name is not very clear, but I'm going to say that his repo is MKIdeal in the project called CLI. I love it because the examples are super clear And there are tons of examples. I did a CLI app at some point in Go. If I had seen this, it would have been so much easier for me to understand how to do it. It also has uh, not only flags, but commands. Seems very clean and neat. So that's my recommendation today.
0: How would you compare it with uh, Cobra? I've been using Cobra for Goa, but I'm curious.
2: I thought it was easier to understand mm. and follow. And if I were, if I am going to use Cobra today because I used it before, exactly the, my first time I used Cobra and Viper. Mm. Today I would have an easy time. But if it was my first time, I this would be so easy. This, mm. this would have been so easy because the documentation is um, amazing. Kudos to the to the project maintainer.
1: Uh, th- th- yeah, this. So I I just quickly looked at this so. Um, but it seems like it has um, kind of integrations for other things. So, like it can, you can define a particular argument as a pid file, and it kind of decodes that and gives you a pointer to the file, so you can interact with it that way. So, it kind of is an interesting a- approach mm-hmm. with these decoders. I will have to look into this a little more.
2: Exactly, and you can use flag. You can uh, define your fl- your flags as slice or map. And there are the features there.
3: Oh, that's interesting. So, my addition for this week is the post by Scott Mansfield from Next Netflix about application data caching. And it is way too in depth and too long to discuss here, but there are some really interesting discussions about data storage and data structure, um, Go tools like uh, the Rend project, which is available on GitHub open source. Um, a very nice and technically in-depth article just the the sort of stuff that i love to wake up to with my coffee
1: and it even has some rocks db in there for you eric uh yeah i love me some rocks db <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i read that post too it's actually really interesting uh rend is uh kind of wire compatible with memcached and right. basically what they uh implemented was this proxy almost in between their clients and memcached and they implemented uh like an l1 and l2 cache so that memcached was the the l1 but obviously they could swap that out and then they were using RocksDB to communicate uh with their ssds as kind of like an l2 cache and all of this was to reduce um the their financial costs monthly for their amazon instances for high memory because they were storing uh, lots of user data uh, in memory. And so they'd have kind of like the hot data set in a given region, but they'd also have a cold data set. So in case uh, people fell over, um, failed over from another region and things like that. So it's, it's really interesting um, how much they they dropped off. And I love the fact that they're using RocksDB, and th- there's a lot of people using that now. There's a, what Mongo rocks mm-hmm. uh, was out not too long ago. And, uh, uh, one of our other favorites, CockroachDB, they're using RocksDB under the covers, unless they've yeah. changed by now, but I think they're still using it. And uh, RocksDB actually comes out of Facebook. Yeah, I
3: definitely just want to shout out to Scott and the team at Netflix for such a nice and thorough write-up. Uh, I know Scott's been dragging the people who will listen, uh, kicking and screaming into the Go world. Even though mm-hmm. they're, they're a Java-heavy shop, they do have a lot of Go behind the scenes there. They just don't talk about it a lot.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I remember seeing some of the performance metrics. It was, it was something in the neighborhood of like 2 million requests per second, but I think that wasn't uh, fully accurate because that wasn't wired up to back ends. I know when it all said and done, the whole system was something uh, in the neighborhood of like 20 or 25,000 uh, inserts per second. But still, I mean, the amount of performance that we're getting out of this uh, Go proxy is, is awesome. And we'll link to that in the show notes, too, because that is an interesting read. And especially if you're not familiar with kind of RocksDB and some of those things, that's kind of fun. By getting to learn how uh, log-structured merge trees work, Uh, Cassandra uses the kind of same approach there.
3: Yeah. So another project that I've been following for a long time, but really uh, only recently has started to uh, mature, is Shield from Stark and Wayne on GitHub. Uh, You guys may remember Dr. Nick from the Ruby world. he seems to have endorsed Go or embraced Go. And uh, this this tool, Shield, is a, uh, a almost your a universal utility knife for backing things up. So you can write plugins to back up um, Redis. You can back up a, a database. You can back up a disk. You can back up anything if, if you write a plugin for it. And Shield, uh, when it first came out, I, I read the code because there was no description in GitHub. And and just tried to guess what it was going to do eventually. And I it couldn't figure it out for quite a few months. And now it's it's matured quite a bit. And it it looks to be a really nice tool for backing up all the things.
1: Yeah, I, I briefly looked at that. I need to find a use case for it. But uh, yeah, I, I like the idea that you can kind of wire up um, where it's pulling the data from and where it's pushing the data to. I need more time.
3: Yeah, almost like the, the concept of HECA we were talking about last week.
1: You know, this is HECA for backups. Uh, That's actually a good comparison.
3: Thanks for saying so.
1: (laughs) I have to make you feel better.
3: (laughs) (laughs) After the code reviews I've been through this week, I'll take anything I can get.
1: (laughs) Uh, So another interesting project um, that I've seen was uh, the Zap from Uber, which was a structured logging framework uh, that's supposed to have, I think, zero allocations. So that was kind of interesting.
3: You know, we're down here in the south, so we can call that y'all, yet another leveled logger. <laughs> <laughs> I, really
2: liked, I really liked the structured part of that system. I remember when I worked, again, in Rails app, and we were using Splunk to keep track of our logs. And we had to agree upon a, a specific way to write our code so that we, it will be easy to find in Splunk. And then we had to just like, for certain keywords and the equal sign and the whatever variable we, will, we wanted to look at. And we had to rely upon everybody remembering to do that. So with this structure, it just makes, it, makes life so much simpler for everybody. Uh, besides the fact that it seems to be very efficient and about, about the other features.
1: All right. Anybody have anything else they want to talk about before we kind of go on our merry way? No,
3: it's been a pretty full show.
1: Are not so merry for Brian who's gonna get a beat going, down in his code review. Go back to more. my code review. <laughs> <laughs> don't
3: don't tell Blake if he's listening.
1: <laughs> so uh, one of the things we like to do when we close the show is just kind of briefly go around and uh, give thanks to an open source project, kind of as you spoke to earlier, Raphael to kind of uh, to to get kind of that feedback from the community sometimes makes your day. So we want to make sure that we're we're regularly reaching out and And thanking people for the things that make our lives easier. You want to kick this off, Brian?
3: I'll kick it off today. One of my favorite open source tools ever is NSQ from Bitly. I've used NSQ in dozens of projects and it has never, ever disappointed me. It is blazing fast. It is 100% predictable and reliable. And it's just amazing how much you can do uh, with NSQ in very little code and I, I really appreciate the fact that they open source that. It's it's a great tool. What is it? NSQ is, it's a, a distributed queue that's incredibly fault tolerant and really fast and it's written in Go and it's just, it's it's written really smartly.
1: Yeah, and so actually um, Matt Richardson did a talk in go uh, GopherCon 2014 on it. Uh, I think the talk was titled something like spray some NSQ on it or something that's like right, that. That's right, yeah. But yeah, that that's, uh, should be on GitHub too. And that video is up on YouTube. uh, YouTube. Yeah. How about you, Yeah.
2: I would like to mention today iTerm2, which I'm sure most people already use. If you don't, you definitely should check it out because eventually you will. (laughs) It seems that everybody makes a transition from the normal terminal uh, that comes with the Apple system to iTerm2. And especially the 2.9 beta version i had to download that for some reason that i forgot and it's been a couple months and it's amazing um, there are a bunch of uh, new features they're very interesting very useful i'm just going to say i recommend you leave it it pops up a tip of the day every day uh, right on the terminal it's very non-intrusive we can just keep and it'll go away uh, basically leave that on and you're going to just cover a treasure trove of cool features for your terminal there. That's it.
1: Yeah. For when I am actually on my Mac recently, I have the little tips on there. It's because it's been a while since I've explored features added. So I'm letting it annoy me periodically to tell me things that I should be doing. They've added <laughs> some
3: really radical stuff to Iterm too. The, the latest betas are pretty crazy in terms of the, the toys that they've added. I'm not sure if I'll ever use them all, but they are impressive.
1: I get a little jealous because most of the time I work off of my Linux workstation. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Gnome Terminal, I think, is the current one I'm using an uh, I3. But, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's not the same. <laughs> uh, Raphael, do you have a project you'd like to thank?
0: Yeah, um, actually, we started using RethinkDB um, and it has been very interesting. Um, I stumbled on it kind of by chance and was reading the description the feature set and it all sounded good like it usually does. Um, and, but then what really was uh, uh, struck me is how well it fit with the use case that we were after, which was uh, trying to generate events whenever uh, some data was updated. Um, and so RethinkDB has that built in, this idea of subscriptions built in. Um, and it's been a very interesting journey. It has changed quite a bit the way we're thinking about the design for those new services. Um, and so I would definitely recommend people take a look at it if they haven't yet, um, because it does it does provide another dimension um, to how you can design your systems and take advantage of these uh, subscriptions capabilities. Uh, so very, very glad that they open sourced that. Um, and something else I wanted to mention, it's not, project, but it's, um, I wanted to give a shout out to all the companies that let their employees develop open source projects, right? Because it takes time. Um, it's, it's not that you know, we all have to make a living. And at the end of the day, um, the companies that allow their employees to, to develop open source projects um, are already enablers. And, and, and I think we need to, uh, thank them for that and i'm thankful for rescate obviously uh with goa but uh, it's not just uh, just i also, was also thinking about um uh jp robinson at new york times you know doing gizmo i mean there are many many examples of people that work in a, in a, in industry and and where their company actually pay them to develop open source projects uh, so i think that's awesome
1: and I actually get to cheat because we got to just talk about the Netflix post and RocksDB. And I love RocksDB. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give a shout out mm-hmm. to them.
3: That's <laughs> and, um, cheating. That shouldn't even count. We're taking this one tame. off your scoreboard,
1: Eric. <laughs> but I mean, it's awesome. I mean, if anybody hasn't played with it, they should. Um, and even just investigating kind of how log structured merge trees work is kind of fascinating. So I think with that, we are, I think, just about out of time. So I definitely want to thank everybody for being on the show and especially Raphael for coming on and talking to us about generating all the things.
0: <laughs> thank you this, this has been great thank you very we, much
1: we have the godfather of code generation on the show <laughs> yeah
0: uh, no, this this has been really great um, thank you for the opportunity I really appreciate
1: it and we'll have links to everything we've talked about in the show notes or if you happen to be following us on Twitter at gotimefm uh, most of this stuff should be linked there or the Slack channel uh, the Gopher Slack, uh, or go for Slack or gotimefm there as well um Yeah. So I think that is about it with that. I guess uh, we'll see everybody next week. Awesome. Thanks, everybody.
2: Thank you. Goodbye.
3: Bye.